Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know, I'm always inspired by other people's life stories. So I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. Hi everyone, today I'm introducing Mick Collins. A friend of mine shared about his eldering. I thought, what a lovely word, looking after our eldering, our elderhood. Um, but I got into so much more with him about dreaming, about spirit work, soul work, um, and, and such an interesting conversation about his life story and where it's brought him today. So do join me in this conversation and um, yeah, be inspired because he has a beautiful tale to tell. Wow, nice to meet you, Mick. And you too, Caroline, you yeah. too. Yeah, lovely surprise. I like, um, I like the way Facebook throws up these opportunities to get yeah. to know someone better. It does, doesn't it? And it was Isla Willow who who led me in your direction yeah. because she saw a, a post that you had put up and um and it yeah it was it just really rang true for me what you were sharing I think yeah. it was about elderhood and and that yes. kind of thing so it was um yeah it's very touching and so you've been involved from what I can make out mental health for many years and yes um writer and a lecturer yes um and, and and on your Facebook page, it says passionate about dream work, deep ecology and psycho-spiritual transformation. That's it. <laughs> Sounds like deep stuff. <laughs> well, you know, hail fellow well met. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is where we're, well, you know, for me, the um, I got into this pretty much, um, yeah, in 1977, I started doing travels, you know, going abroad and all that and sort of India and places. And and I think that's when it started to root for me a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's been a long journey. And I and I, what I love about it is still, you know, massive amount of learning and reformulation and transforming, mm. you know, the, the journey is, is that, isn't it? It's not just like I've arrived or... You know, I think I've got it cracked. I tend not to see life like that. <laughs> so what did you write about? Um, well, three books. Well, academically, I wrote quite a few peer-reviewed papers on, like, the cult of Asclepius, you know, the dreaming god of uh, ancient Greece, pre-Hippocrates. Um, I wrote about Jung, spirituality. These were all in my peer-reviewed papers, academic ones, which, of course, is not the grist for the mill for an academic career so I didn't go very far academically because <laughs> that's not really of great importance in universities but I think it will become so at some point um and then uh, some book chapters on near-death experiences and stuff like that um and then three books which was a trilogy the unselfish spirit the visionary spirit and the restorative spirit and they're sort of densely packed with references for um you know because i've used my academic nouse 
to formulate an argument, but also written it in a way that takes people on a deep inquiry and suggesting things from various traditions, from depth psychology to alchemy to Christian mysticism to Buddhist practices and shamanism and deep ecology and sort of, you know, the wow. sacred feminine and weaving it all together in sort of what makes sense to me because I wrote the books to find out, not to uh. put across some sort of mission or vision. I thought, what what is speaking to me at this time, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's that's how I sort of crafted my writing career. And I've I've now stopped working as a writer um, and I've decided to um, let the, the doors open and see what see what comes. <laughs> how does one stop writing? I mean, how does one stop being a writer? Because for me, yeah. I could say at any point, well, that's my last book, but who knows what's in the future, hey? Exactly. But you know, you know what it takes. Anyone who's written a book will know what it takes to do that and what it takes out of you and what it also brings, because it's an amazing thing to do. But I must have I just thought to myself, I found it so tortuous and brilliant at the same time. I loved it, but it just took all everything, you know, and I just thought I, I actually don't want to be that pinned down anymore you know, to that. So, so it's a long term. I mean, each book took four years to write, you know, and right. they were sort of long term projects. So 12 years for three books. It's a lot, um, isn't it? And it for is. very little return, hey? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you get one person saying, oh, I enjoyed your book and a couple of little thumbs up here and there, I'm chuffed, you know. Um, there, yeah, there's a lot of material out there these days. I, I never wrote them with the expectation that they would be mm. much but I wrote them for myself. Yes. <laughs> Paradoxically, um, although I did obviously want people to read them, but I wrote them as part of a journey that I was on uh, of inquiry and understanding and finding out what's cooking at this time, this pivotal time in history, and how can I sort of investigate that, you know, sort of uh, in, intrinsically, internally, to find out what's coming forward. And that's such an interesting way, isn't it, to write in order to inquire? Yes. And I think I'm the same as you. I'm on my seventh book at the moment. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Probably crazy. But it is my way of learning and understanding something. So it, it's, it's just that tool. And if it becomes yes. a book and goes out there, great. If it doesn't, I'd still experience something for myself. So... But Absolutely. I really like what you say around that because I haven't heard many people say that, that you, you're actually doing it for yourself to help you understand things. Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely. it's the mind that does that, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, to my mind then, thinking, I mean, we see it in such a reductionist way and it's got such bad press. But for me, thinking is part of a divine uh, connection. The idea that someone can put an idea forward, then I can read an oppositional idea, then I can dream, and then I can find a, a third point that pops up. That's, to me, sacred. That's not that's not just like, oh, you're using your left brain, as people say these days. I think, oh, come off it. That's so reductionist. And you're trying to be holist, but in making a claim like that, you're being very reductionist. And I, and I won't have any truck with that. No. The left brain is not all bad. It has a divine component. It Absolutely. is 
Yeah. You know, uh, and I'll really defend that position. <laughs> I like that. I, 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 really I, I do like that. I, I've spent a lot of time on dance floors where people say, get out of your head, don't think. You know, and, and no, it's, it, it's, it's not about not thinking. It's about putting your mind to good use. Yes, yes. And, and, and rather than thinking like certain reductionists do, and so there is a truth to certain reductionists saying, well, you can't have this, you can't have that, therefore life is like this. Um, and there's nothing more. There's no. There's no sacredness to life. It's just pure matter. That's that. That that's a type of thinking that of uh, reductionism that okay. I won't go with. Okay. But thinking as uh, something that brings epiphany and awakening, and you know, it plays its part. Of course, of course. And you talk about dream work. Yeah. A bit more about that. Well, you know. Dreams. I mean, how do you frame it? I'm I'm basically uh, what I like to call young at heart, you know, or young at heart. <laughs> and uh, so, any dream work for me has got a very much an indigenous Jungian um, flavor to it, if you wish. Mainly Jung because I like the way he he really interrogated. And I don't like that word, but I think it was the right word because when you read the red book that he produced he really consulted what's, what's happening in his everyday consensus reality and the deep dreaming that was coming up to as part of that awakening. And, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, uh, he's offered something really marvellous to humanity in the way he formulated that. So I kind of go with that dreaming approach, which is here's something revelatory from the collective unconscious, not only the personal unconscious, and those revelations can be absolutely uh, apocalyptic in the true sense of the word, uh, awakening as revelation as apocalypse, not the end of the world, but the beginning of the world. And so for me, there's something really beautiful about going to bed or and having a nighttime dream that confounds everything that you stand for, that you think you know, <laughs> and, and pause some beautiful elixir on it for your uh, al alchemization, you know, your, your sort of, for your benediction. And here you go, you're off. Wow. You've now got to think either that was madness and I'll just forget all about it, or that's an overflow pipe from last night's, yesterday's tense day, and that's the way the mind's dealing with it, or something is coming and it's really coming strong. And so... For me, that's the dreaming. That, and, and I wouldn't just put nighttime dreams in that. I would put daytime um, synchronicities and all manner of a causal things that are just appearing before you and asking you to, to maybe enter into that world a bit. I love that. I, I always say to my students, you know, we have our dream, dream, our nighttime dreams, but we also have our waking dreams and our daydreams. And, you know, those things that come to us in meditation or when we're walking in the park, you know, there are the, the dream world is exists all the time. It's not just when we're asleep, is it? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's such an important point, you know, because then you understand the whole reason for lucid dreaming. Yes. You know, if you can become lucid in your nighttime dreams, which I can't, I've never been able to do that. I get so lost in the experience. But when you wake up, you can then practice lucid dreaming by questioning your everyday consensus reality. If you think this is fixed, I know what's going on. I've got it sussed. Actually, hang on a minute. This is an opportunity for more fluidity and flexibility. 
in the way that we're living. So that to me becomes lucid living. Nice. Wish. Nice. You know, I like that. Like so, the dreaming of the nighttime is an induction. Uh, like in the cult of Asclepius, you would have all manner of stuff would come um, from Asclepius to the to the supplicants that were in, in the temples having a sleep. And um, and then all of a sudden in the morning, all manner of revelations would happen, you know, healing cures, life changing directions. So there's the lucidity. It doesn't only have to happen in the nighttime dream. It can. That's for me anyway. I, you know, I, I like it. I like yeah. it. So what, tell us one of your favorite dreams or your most inspiring dreams. Wow. God, there's so many, isn't there? Um, I think some of them almost make me want to cry when I even remember them, just like. Uh, but probably two very quick dreams, I think, will. Um, yeah, they're both very powerful dreams. There's lots of them, but these are two. Um, there was one dream where an Indiana Jones type figure was coming through a desert on a chariot and I could see I was in the desert and I could see this dust coming like this oh. and when when the chariot was coming closer it was a giant lion with all of its streaks of hair with blood on it like that going and this Indiana Jones with a hat and whip <laughs> I thought what it was unbelievable and then he stopped and got out and he, I was just standing there in awe, and he gave me a lamb, a baby lamb. And I thought, wow, this is a, you know. And then I looked at the lamb, and it was a baby lion covered in lamb's wool. Wow. And I've been working on that dream for, blooming heck, I had that dream so long, in the 90s. I'm still working on it because it's revelatory. It's, it's, not, it's not something you can just say, oh, I've worked the dream. I've got it. I've got some ideas about it. Um, it has a beautiful connection to Rhea, the great goddess. She used to uh, arrive on a, a chariot pulled by lions. Hang on a minute. We've now got an archaeologist in the driving seat. So what are we missing in our archaeological connections? Where's the goddess figuring in our, in our archaeological uh, reflections? The lion and the lamb, you start to get to biblical stuff there, you know, that the lion and the lamb lie together, you know, there's something about, um, yeah, that type of, I, I think it was an Isaiah in the Old Testament. So you get this beautiful um, sort of worlds meeting in interesting ways. And I'm still working on that dream and it's beautiful. You know, it, <laughs> it was awe inspiring. It really was, it was an awesome dream. Um, and the the second one that I think um, still touches me deeply when I think about it is there was a baptismal font and around the font were three monks or priests. I don't know what they were. Um, I think they were monks. And there was a little boy on tiptoes pouring sand into the baptismal font. And all of a sudden... Uh, the the sand moved of its own volition in a circular way, but it then formed into a beautiful pearl of nectar. And I woke up exploding in bliss. My whole body was radiating bliss. And that's a numinous dream. Jung talked about the numinous. The, and, you know, if you look at baptism, that's initiation into the spirit. If you look at the young boy, 
you know, sand, grit and grace, you know, Ken Wilbur, you, you start to look at, wow, there's so much symbolism in that dream that, that even now I'm just thinking, where's that little boy, the part of me that's growing on this journey? What's happening? Where is that coarseness? Where is that grace? And, you know, so these are reflective. And again, that's another 20 year plus dream, you know. Amazing. <laughs> yeah wow. I love them I love them yeah I can hear that and what were you like as a little boy um lost scared traumatized you know um yeah I mean I had a bit of a sort of a tough start you know I mean a kind of a, a bit of a, 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 a tricky journey really um I had a sort of a traumatic adoption I was adopted as a little baby but sadly some something I've I've met my birth mother since and she told me what happened and it was really sad for her and deeply upsetting. And I can only imagine as a young child, a baby, I would have picked all of that up somewhere, all that was being expressed in the field and then the separation. And then I kind of grew up in a, a house where we moved around a lot, but my, both my parents had been adopted and had no extended family. So I was moving from place to place with no extended family and you know I was very alienated as an only child and didn't have any social friends or yeah I did but then we'd move yeah. so growing up I I turned inward quite a lot as you know to to make sense of the world and um yes I was very outgoing and gregarious but I was lost and hurt and I didn't have a language for that but uh I left school at 15 and I went to court in the first, in the same age when I was 15, my first court appearance. So I kind of went off the rails in a spectacular way <laughs> and got in lots of violence and stuff like that. And not proud of that, but it happened. Um, so I was very lost as a lost soul, you know, and I sort of had strong feelings as well, you know, being a Scorpio with moon in Cancer and Mars in Pisces. <laughs> I'm just in the water, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I just, it's taken a long time to start to make sense of all, all this. And I'm still on that journey, if I'm honest, you know, it's a, it, it's a humbling experience when life, you know, meets you in a powerful way, but that's the daemon. That's the one you got to dance with. That's the fate. You know, I, I don't want to say, you don't, Oh, poor me. No. no, that's what I had to get to grips with, you know? I totally get that. And there's something, as I call it, the, the golden thread that runs from our conception to, um, and even previous to that, you know, through yeah. our life. And it's like, well, yes. what is it? What was the, what was the solace? What was the solution or the sanctuary that you held as a child mm. in order to cope with that, what was going on for you? And it sounds like you retreated into yourself. Yeah. So that yeah. possibly created a, a deep thinker in you. And yeah, a deep that. feeler. Yeah. A deep feeler, yeah. I felt everything, you know, and it sort of uh, it was it was hard. It was very hard, but you know, I've uh, having done a psychotherapy training. I didn't qualify, but I did ten years training, and it, so I got something a lot from it. But what I learned was, I used to minimize everything and say, "Ah, it's all right," you know. I was very sort of like a bit brash, and you know, ah, don't worry about that. I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then I realized when one of our trainers who I greatly admired and he had been a previously been a bouncer and he was a bit of a, you know, bit of a, you know, a bit of a tough case. And he said, no, no, no. He said, mate, don't, 
you know, that's that's tough what you went through. And I said, really? And, you know, then I started to feel for myself a lot more. You know, before that, I just sort of like got through it with sort of a power, if you wish. Yeah. You know, I mean, after my fourth court appearance for an offensive weapon and going ballistic at a football match, you know, I, I asked the judge and I said, look, I want to join the army. So I joined the infantry for three and a half years. <laughs> and so I was in the infantry and that, again, you know, very warrior spirit, you know, get tough and go out there and just, you know, but really good as well because it gives you discipline mm. and it really formed something quite important in me. I, I really genuinely feel that it wasn't a bad experience. It was a very formative experience, mm. but there wasn't much feeling in there. <laughs> of course, of course. The feelings come out later. Yes. And, and doesn't the ego develop its own coping strategies and mechanisms for dealing with the world? So put on a big bravado. Yes. happened to so many people you know i'm right jack kind of thing yeah and actually that's just a big protection for the totally. child and the one that's yes. hurting because it can't express those things it's not safe to express those no. things and you know men have been on a journey for the last 50 plus years and you know and i was of that generation and so for me that's been about growing up into feeling and you know feeling well I've always had these things but you know then being in an environment where you could start to talk about them and yes. open up uh, rather than subverting yourself into something totally different just to a keep sort of threats on the outside at bay you know so people don't oh, mess with him he's a bit of a character you know whatever but that totally is not being authentic to what we are inside. So, you know, for me, these came really pivotal, if you wish, experiences, you know, um, the psychotherapy training really helped me to, to see that everything I'd been through was actually in some ways, well, you can't change it, but you can really use a tremendous amount of knowing from that place. Of course. Of so course. I thought, yes, I'll do that. And so, you know. Um, and it must have been quite a safe place to explore those. Oh, they're a brilliant community. Um, process-oriented psychology, uh, yeah, process work. Yeah. yeah, you know that. I know it. I, I haven't worked in it, but I have friends who are yeah they're amazing they're a really great community and you know it's sort of i i i i learned a tr oh, so much from that community mm -hmm. um you know did did a long-term training but you know my path was to go another way and that's fine yeah. but um yeah really really special i mean you know because uh, well, I also lived in a Buddhist monastery for a few years. Uh, I can't get, I could give you the whole chronology, but it's a bit boring. I came out of the army, then I spent six years on the road traveling in 77. Um, and then in 83, I went in a Tibetan monastery for three years. And uh, more about that. Tell us about being in a monastery. Yeah. Well, I, I, it was, I would just went in, I turned up because I went to visit a mate uh, for two days and um, I was in Greece and bumming around I had loads of money in my pocket and I thought you know what? I've had enough of this so I, I I went down and I thought if there's a magic bus at Athens to Greece um going um tomorrow I'll go to London if there isn't I'll go somewhere else that's how I used to live you know and there was a magic bus one a week in November going to London so I got on it went to see my mate 
who I'd heard was in a monastery, ended up going into to see him for a couple of days. And they heard I had some building skills and said, do you want to stay? And I said, yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> so I ended up just working on the building team, having teachings, doing initiations like the tantric stuff. And then, um, then I had a complete meltdown. Uh, interestingly, having gone through the army and got this crystallization and a new sense of direction and not needing to be so crazily expressive in that violent way and crazy way, uh, and then traveling and meeting good people like hippies and all that on the road and getting an education in hippiedom. And then, um, you know, then going in the monastery and then having a much more deeper connection to the inside. But then I blew out and had a, a spiritual emergency, which went completely ballistic, you know, because wow. as Groff said, you know, Stan is love and Christina Groff, um, you know, <laughs> you 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 can only go so far with a, an ego consciousness and that's we need that there's nothing wrong with that but it's not the center of everything and so when you go down into these more core experiences we know if there's some fault lines there it's got to come out mm. um, and mine came out in a spectacular way i was i had a i was doing mantra i went to visit a friend in the west country and i was on the train just doing mantra and all of a sudden, I felt love for everyone on the train. I mean, profound love. You know, I just was overwhelmed with it. And I thought, gosh, I've never really experienced that before. You know, I didn't think too much of it, just carried on doing the prayers. But when I got off the train, everything was becoming very blissful and, and everything was looking light and shiny. And I just felt complete love for everyone. Litter looked great. You know, dog shit looked immense and beautiful, you know, and everything looked incredible you know i was just like wow it's just like a like all the the veil had been lifted and i i i have to say i was having a like an orgasmic experience like blissful orgasmic experiences for three days which is not it's not common i've heard one or two people talk about that it's normally quite a, you might get an hour or two but this was going on for days and um, but what happened, it went down, the sort of became less. I was quite relieved, to be honest, because it was a bit overwhelming, you know, sort yeah. of imagine having an orgasm for three days. You'd be completely off your trolley, <laughs> wouldn't you? Anyway, so um, it kind of went down and and then I went right into the depths and then I had all these wild impulses, you know, really, really tricky impulses, murderous impulses, Um very very disturbing and I, I was completely shot away and and it resulted in me eventually leaving the monastery because I couldn't be around anything you know I'd had thoughts mm -hmm. of harming the guru and wow. I thought oh I'd just get out of this I had enough awareness to get out and um and I went and lived in North Wales in a little little bed sit for a bit and just trying to consolidate and, and I was obviously raging I was all over the place but I thought well I could just sign on and and get through this but I was very lucky in that one of the monks his dad had been a monk uh, a, a mendicant in India he's an Indian psychologist Arvind Patel and um, he came to the monastery to see his son he said where's Mick and they said oh he's kind of gone off on one and, and and left but he found out where I was and said come and stay with me and he was a psychologist he'd read Jung he understood all that. And then he just sat with me for three days and we had a long chat and he said, look, if you can get through this, this is a path for you. It's a, 
it's what's coming up is for you to you know work through and find a direction so fascinating because you so you had this spiritual emergence where there was so much light if you like yes kind of this light and sometimes that extreme light and awareness and awakening moments actually shines the light on all the dark stuff yes yeah out and we can see it more clearly and in order to see it you've got to experience it haven't you you've put that very well and i'd I totally agree with you. And I think where before my well-crafted ego structures were just nicely disciplined around managing everything, I wasn't seeing that. And of course, I'd had no therapy or anything like that. This was 1986. Mm. And Jung, um, sorry, Stan and Christina Groff wrote their book, Spiritual Emergency, three years after that experience. So by then, I'd just come through the worst of it. And I thought, if only I'd had that book to to rely on but i i realized what i did with the with the help of my friend who gave me i only met him a couple of times but he just said just try and you know choiceless awareness don't get too attached to it let it pass keep grounded eat good food and stuff like that and all the things i did were what you should do in an experience like that according to the graphs and the spiritual emergence literature and if you had had that book you might have gone down a whole different path with it anyway you had your own experience had my own experience and I and I I have to say I learned a huge amount from that that when you're just left with a thought that's so atrocious to my my social sensibilities about just randomly seeing someone on the street and having thoughts of murdering them you know it's not a nice thing to feel at all in fact I was traumatized quite often by that kept coming up with I mean it was constant and it was a bit like, it's almost like all these blooming demons were just like, you know, going at me all the time. Obviously, it was my thought processes, although I do, I've studied spiritism um, quite a lot. And there's no saying who knows what might have accompanied that experience. In fact, it's that could happen. Um, I don't know if it did, but it could. So it, whatever it was, it was an amplified experience and it was extremely traumatizing. Mm. So half why what took so long was getting over my reactions to what was coming up i was almost in a vicious loop so it took me i was on the dole for two years and i was doing a lot of work you know trying to work it out and find a way and then i eventually started to stabilize so that then made me feel like oh i wonder if i could be a therapist so till then i'd been a laborer and a sort of a troubadour just bumming around the world sort of like you know hair down your back and giving it all that you know (laughs) Uh, and then I thought to myself maybe I could be a therapist so I ended up training to be a therapist and I worked in mental health for some years quite a few years and at at the same time studied with Arnie Mindell and colleagues with process work as a way of sort of bringing that individuation into alignment with with a path yeah yeah. So that's how I got my transpersonal initiation. <laughs> well, it, it you know it sounds like you know the, the upbringing that you had that you would have been carrying some dark shadowy oh. stuff, no yeah. doubt. I mean, what what chance did you have as a, as a little child in that kind of situation with possibly holding the trauma from your mother and father yeah. and whatever the story was that was yeah. going on there. And then moving around and not and being isolated in a sense and not connecting with other 
children, you know, having that normal upbringing that we would want our kids to have. Exactly. So there would be all that dark stuff and, and you would be given the opportunities throughout life to face some of that. And it sounds like you did and you got to see it and you got to see how you had learned to protect yourself and deal with life. And, and then to go into all the other things that you talk about and then and then the um, psychotherapy training and working in mental health well you've you've got all that life experience which is perfect for what you chose then to do with it absolutely yes a lot of that what i went through would serve me well when i was working with people that were in all manner of distressed states of course. and i used to say hey I, I remember once meeting someone that blah 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 and i was talking about me to give them hope right right and so i didn't actually tell them you know the bit that I've just told you that uh, although no once I did there was uh, somebody I spoke to about that once because there was a very difficult thing they were dealing with yeah. and so um yeah uh but I used a lot of um things that, oh, I once met this person that found that they they, they were in a very similar thing to you and I you know yeah. what did they do oh well what they did <laughs> and so I used myself as a sort of a uh, not only me I, I obviously had other things that I could draw on but I wanted to give people hope that no matter what situation they were in they could find a way through and sometimes telling a story about someone else you know without obviously um I'd never break confidential confidentiality always mix the stories up so nobody would know who you're talking about but I always think they were useful yeah and um fairy tales when I was doing, I'd use fairy tales, you know, like um, Fitch's Bird was one that I used quite a lot, um, which uh, was a very powerful fairy tale for anyone who's not read it, um, okay. worth looking up. Nice, nice. Yeah. Mm. So I, I, I got to know you through um, a post around elderhood, that there's, you've, you've got some interesting thoughts around that. Would you share that with us? Yeah, well, well, first of all, uh, uh, what what's really interesting is just how I got sort of like put onto that because um, I'd, I'd written a book and then I thought the last book and I thought, yeah, I'm done now. I'm just going to go and grow some veg and, you know, mm -hmm. in my garden and sort of that's it. Anyway, um, uh, she's now become a friend, but Roz Watts, who's a clinical psychologist and um, done a trial in Imperial College on psychedelics and stuff, said, oh, I've just read your book and I loved it. And I said, oh, thank you. It's nice to hear that. And um, then she's running a retreat in Carmabon in, in Wales. Yeah, uh, in 10 days uh, we're going. And she said, I thought of you, um, would you like to come along? And, you know, we're inviting people we think might get something from it. So it's about the environment, ecology, mental health and eldering and eldership. And I said, God, sounds good. I hadn't given that much thought. So I feel like the, the universe has sort of gave me a little nudge. And so I said, yes, I'd love to. And so as part of my journey into that, I thought, well, as ever, I'll treat that as like a dream work. So I've got an eldering book. This is my eldering book. And this is the um, this is the opening picture of my eldering story. Have you so, painted that yourself? Well, we yeah, can't, I can't show we can't show our listeners, but it is a rather remarkable drawing. Um, yeah. Where can people see that? Put that on your Facebook. Page. I, I put it on Facebook, actually. I yeah. did because, uh, yeah, it's, I, I I always draw a picture before I write because I want to see what nice. 
because I feel pictures more than I do. I feel words, but pictures really capture me, yeah. you know. So um, I drew the artist. You're, you're clearly quite the artist because. Uh, oh, yeah, I love, love, love painting. Yeah, and definitely. And the so Ros said, oh, let's, you know, and so I got accepted to join. So I thought that's good. I thought, right, I better give this a bit of time. So that was my opening reflections on eldership. And then I've done lots of writing on it. Mm. And I started to get into the idea of, I like the idea of living in a collective where eldering happens. And there might be some people that we see as having eldership in a certain direction, but they're not the only point of reference for eldering mm. and so i kind of like the idea that that eldering is vibrational and some people can pick up on the field and it's like a portal into information that can be shared and elaborated and the eldering is then done nobody's the necessarily the elder that's just happened mm. um so i've i'm playing with those ideas and that doesn't mean to say that we don't have elders of course we do but if we only say, oh, we'll wait till what see what the elders say. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you a little example. My granddaughter um, is three, and not so long ago, she's quite psychic. And at three, she's walking down the street, and a complete stranger was right in front of her, and she just said, your son is dead. She's three years old. Yeah. And anyway, you can imagine the parents go, <laughs> don't say that. And, and the woman said, no, it's fine. She said, what a gift that child has. My son has died. And, you know, and there was a moment there where little Isla brought that woman into a completely different relationship wow. with her grief, I suspect. Um, it opened something up. And so, you know, the, she, Isla doesn't know what she's done. She's just using information that's in the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I started to use that as my way of gauging eldering, not eldership. I, I still think we need elders, but I think eldering is up for anyone can do that. Yeah, yeah. So a three-year-old walks in your life and says, you've got a big green thing around you and you think your aura is full of whatever, you know, you think, yep, yeah, thank you. <laughs> wow, wow. Why not? Interesting, yeah. So, so where are you going with this now? Is it? Is there any... I don't know. I mean, I'm just sort of. I've I've just started getting to the point of. I've done quite a few pages of writing, and I just write what's in my heart. Um, but I just come back from Glastonbury uh, last week, and I'm all sorts of things are coming up around eldering and pilgrimage. You know, I, I'm almost thinking pilgrimage and portal. You know, can you imagine that? Like not only going on a physical dreamscape uh landscape sorry but entering a dreamscape as well as the landscape so there's a pilgrimage portal thing that's bubbling up in me and so it would be very dreamy whatever it was mm. i can see a little one day offering on this somewhere you know just to open the field up and sounds beautiful and a lovely inquiry and, and a place to bring yourself to from all, all of the other journey that you've had all of that it's like we don't stop do we we don't get to a point where we go okay right this is what i do this is what i'm creating now because i i've actually just started um a, a community group um where i live called empowering elderhood and oh lovely coming into the age i am now it's like yeah i'm preparing for 
you know, yes. immersing myself in the second half of life and really getting to know this place of elderhood, you know, that's that's ahead of me, really. Yes. 60, yes. 63 this year. So, yeah, it, it's kind of, yeah, I know it's all, you know, the, the landscape is opening up for me around yes. that. And so this is a, a great way for me to hold a space for others exploring that and inquiring into it because I think elders need purpose. Yes, you know, I, I think, think that's, that's one beautiful. of the most important things. So that's my inquiry. And and it and there'll be another inquiry after that, no doubt, God willing. You know, yeah. that there will be something else. And and it, it's like, it's just a progression, isn't it? Mm. Of the work that we've always been doing, but just yeah. goes into a whole other field and landscape and keeps advancing in that sense i think so and thanks for sharing that because um i think it's really important to honor that that the, yeah, there is an elderhood there is an eldership there is an elder mm. um and and i think that really honors all the gifts that you and others and myself have brought into life and tried our best to make sense of and just mm. share that wisdom with others absolutely brilliant and i love it I also like the idea that of pop-ups of uh, of the, the, the portal just go boop, and then a three-year-old just coming out with a out of the mouth of babes and all that, or a fourteen-year-old who's just heartbroken or something, and then just has an an epiphany of wisdom. Sophia comes through her, and she just speaks, uh, or something like that. You know, I I I'm I'm really keen for eldership, and I'm also really keen for eldering. In the... I like it. I really like it because I also we're all elders in different ways. Like we can, yes. like you say, you can be very young, and be the elder in that situation because you've got Absolutely. the experience or the the wisdom or the knowledge on something. And so in that moment, it doesn't matter what the age group is, no. you are the elder in that place because you have experienced it. Absolutely, so very different ways of looking at el eldering or elderhood. Or I think it's. I think that's right. And and in a way. It's quite beautiful because I guess the elder in the traditional sense would then recognize that. And I guess this would be the mark of an elder, mm. that they would recognize that little moment of epiphany or wisdom or whatever that came out of that, wherever it came from, and and would would make space for that. You know, uh, and I, I would never see that in you from what, the short time I've known you. I, I could see you're a space giver, which I think is is what it is. But I also think there's a little bit at the moment in our world where people are space takers and occupying a space of like, you know, the old guru and all that business no. that still floats around. And I think deferring everything to the to the person at the top or over there is I think that's time has come where we need uh, uh, the elders to, to help a space to open up that's really dynamic and, yeah. and full of flow. Mm, absolutely. Oh, this is a fascinating conversation. I, I've really enjoyed hearing you. I really feel like uh, my, our worlds merge somewhere yeah. in yes. all of this. There's, there's a lot of shared experience. And what's your, your future looking like then? What, what is it that you're <laughs> opening up to yourself, do you think? I don't know, really. It's it's I, honestly, I genuinely don't know. I I'm just waiting for. I'm not waiting passively. I'm reading a lot at the moment and dreaming and and I think there is a fundamental thing. Whatever I end up doing on the outside of of life, which is always obviously inside as well, but whatever direction it appears to take. I think I'm consolidating something at the moment and 
when we had a brief email exchange, you said, oh, I'd like to just touch in on your sole purpose. And I feel very much, I always have been aligned to that question. And yet it's becoming more prescient as time's moving on. And like you say, you know, we're all getting a little bit older in terms of chronological age. And there will be a point of the ending of this bardo moving over. And so I'm creating space for that. And yeah, really just dropping into um, two things, just that that I feel, I don't mean this in a way of, um, uh, what would be the word, in the wrong way, let's just put it that, I mean it in the right way, is I feel there's a need for purification somewhere in me still. I feel there's something that um, occludes some somehow obscures something which I know is much more vital and light giving in me. So I feel there's something to be done there. And I, I've been working on a path of forgiveness for many years. And um, (laughs) it's mainly about me hoping others will forgive me for what I did, but I'm also (laughs) thinking about forgiveness. Um, So I'm doing a lot of life review past stuff, you know, like you get from near death experiences so the life review uh tending to that not in a guilt or a heavy laden way but in a sort of an atonement way you know like atoning by maybe offering prayers by making a recommitment to life uh, service yes. uh what can i do to be of service to my fellow fellows in this world including the animals and the plant world and so there's something around that there's a there's a conflation of this uh, all these different things coming together for some sort of alchemical something i don't know quite what it is but i just bought a book um and it, it interestingly has been delayed and I, I normally you order a book and it comes very quickly and it says we don't know when you're going to get this book and i thought well that's interesting and it's called deathing and it's an old book and it's written about really tending to your death and the death of others as it's looming, using drawing on the Tibetan Book of the Dead to ideas like that, and um, yeah, ideas from the Western view. And I thought, yeah, that really spoke to me. So I think death is probably going to be in the mix, mm. preparing for those moments of this incarnation's coming to a point. Um, what have I learned from this incarnation? So there's a big point of reflection. How am I living that? How am I loving in that? How am I laughing in that? How am I labile in that? What's coming through me? Is how, where am I crying? How am I living that as a prayer? Is that is that really prayerful in my life? And and that's the questions that I'm with. So, you know, I'd, I have no idea how to formulate it, but it's that's the sort of gist. That's, that's yeah. the inquiry, isn't it? That's the landscape that's opening up for you. Yes. And wow, and sometimes we just got to walk on those landscapes, haven't we? And not try and figure them out, just allow them to show us. Yes, and and to be guided by dreams and feelings. Like I was washing up yesterday at the sink and I just burst out crying. I was crying my eyes out. I was just, (laughs) I was washing up and I was just doing the cups and it wasn't a painful one. It was more of a thank you for, Mm. thank you. 
it was gratitude as well as uh yeah there was like and i've been a little shit in the past you know um and stuff like that there was a bit of that in there but thank you and i think you know i was saying that to the holy spirit god the great creator the creatress well i don't care what you call it but it was a moment of being with that and it felt lovely i felt quite nourished afterwards yeah sounds like really deep gratitude it was yeah really sounds like because because gratitude doesn't have to be all love and light does it it's like there's a deep connection to the soul within that yes moves us doesn't it totally and you know when you when you um read people's near-death experiences which i love reading because they just like Mm. i love anything that just throws my everyday sense of like i think i know what what we're in Mm. (laughs) and oh no uh you i read one the other day or i watched one the other day i can't remember and this guy saying uh yeah i was in front of this being of light it was just all pervasive and full of love and just such knowing and and he had a life review and it's like, oh, my Lord, you know, I saw all the difficult things that he'd done and the repercussions of that and like had to really get to grips with that, but still felt blessed and loved in this light. No judgment. It was just that's how it was, you know, um, just see that for what it was. You can't change that. You can have... Anyway, um, there was a point when uh, they said he had to get back in his body. <laughs> it made me laugh because the soul is so big and the body is so small and just, well, how's that going to get in there? You know? So it's like, you can just imagine cramming in this thing, you know, this light trying to get into this little skin encapsulated body. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just burst out laughing because I thought, well, that's the reality is this beautiful, big, juicy light. And this, you know, this skin encapsulated thing yeah. is kind of not even anywhere near it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful at the same time. It carries this wonderful, um, you know, it's a bit like a tabernacle. You know, when they used to, when the Hebrews were going through the desert, the ark was always in the tabernacle. Right. right. And so, you know, it carries something really precious. So, um, yeah, for me, it really spoke to that, you know, it's like the the tent could never do justice to what it was carrying, this light-filled reality. So that feels like that. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. So do you have any particular message for our listeners or for those? Do you know what? I forgot. I thought it was just me and you. (laughs) Of course. No. <laughs> people are going to listen to you man. yes we're going to listen oh yeah i think um well trust your soul in all the ways that it speaks in dreams in feelings in uh relationship and tending to the tending to that as as that is the the, the reason why we're here and remember that there's going to be learning for all of us in this life. And what what's the particular thread of learning that comes with that recognition that we are soul encapsulated in this lovely body that can be used for the most beautiful thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so check that out and find out what that brings and uh, and find out what you're learning from the mistakes that you made and don't beat yourself up about it. Um, and at the same time, what does that suggest in terms of going forward 
to to nurture this this uh, connection to the soul in a I, I, I like to call it like a living prayer, you know, because I think, you know, the body is is a sacrament and use it wisely, use it well. And um, life is a sacrament. Everyone else is a sacrament and it's a sacred, holy existence. And, you know, when he, I'll never forget the near death experience that touched me the most was Howard Storm, who um, had the most horrific NDE it was a really was a tricky one and um, anyway he ended out sort of having a very deeply revealing uh, connection to the light from a very tricky start in his near-death experience and he was shown that every every bit of this world is holy flowers minerals people animals everything is holy and he was shown that and that left such an impression on my mind to walk down the street and watch your tendencies towards judgment and whatever, and try to just bring that back, forgive yourself, but just remember what really is happening here. Mm. It's much bigger than that. That's really, really lovely. And it reminds me of Patti Smith's song, Everything is Holy. She oh. thinks about that and she lists everything, you know, that, that even the things that we think are the most grottiest. Yeah, are, are still holy, and it brings us to the yeah. animistic view of life, doesn't it? Where yeah, yeah. everything has a soul, everything is absolutely. Possible. So, wonderful. yeah, I love that. It's uh, I'll have to go and listen to that song now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. Song. Oh, well, lovely. thank you so much, Mick. I've well, been, thank you. I've, I've felt my whole body just relaxing and go, oh yeah, this is this is good oh. stuff. So that's really well. Thank you. Day up and. Um, yeah yeah that's uh, thank you for the work you're doing as well i mean you know we need more midwives and uh you know sophia i think this is the time where you know we need that real wisdom of the deep feminine and mm. all of us and um yeah so really thank you for that and thank you mick yeah i love it <laughs> Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker, in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.